Welcome to Self-Release Songs. I'm your host, David Garrick. So, uh, we're getting close to the end of the year. It's December. And what I can tell you is, is that it's a lot more daunting than in past years. This has been a really strange year. And I'm not even talking about the weird political shit that's happening. I'm just talking about the fact that we've had a pandemic going on for so long. Uh, Even with a vaccine coming out, a lot of us won't get the vaccine until probably April or May. And things that seemed important a year ago, like live music and concerts, and a lot of those things kind of fallen by the wayside, really more so for the fact that we want to stay safe and healthy. So as always, we'd remind you, if you're going to go out in public, please wear a mask. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. If you want to get together with your family, you know, that's your thing. That's not mine. But what I will tell you is to please be mindful of everyone else and of yourself. So I've spent a lot of time writing about music, writing about bands that are very low on the totem pole and bands that are real high on the totem pole. What always impresses me most when people ask, well, what attracts you to a certain artist? I mean, the first thing is, is their music any good? Does music hold any merit? If you listen to as much music as I do, you kind of know where songs are going pretty early in. And any time anybody strays from that, I'm immediately more intrigued by what they're doing. Uh, recently, I found that artists that structure a song very differently have my attention immediately. Whether that means leading with vocals or a different complete you know, arrangement setup or even just kind of reversing the order and doing things. Anybody that does something different attracts me, and I'm immediately interested in what they're up to. Uh, but probably the biggest factor for me is how much time and work they put into what they do, how much skin in the game they have. Anytime a band asks me, do you know somebody at a label that might put out this record? I ask them a couple of questions of, do you plan to tour? How long do you plan to tour for? I try to game where what they know about the music industry and how this all works. That a label's really more like your equity partner than your ticket to the big time. And, you know, it's a job. And there's work. There's work involved. And you should work. When I was coming up, we called it working a, an album. And what that meant was, if there was a chance to go on any television show you went, there was a chance to go on any radio show you went, Every magazine that hit you up for an interview, you did an interview, uh, and you toured nonstop. And that's really important today because artists are closer to record distributors than anything else because even though we have independent record stores, there's not as many as there used to be. And with corporate record stores, including places like Target, yeah, they have vinyl, but they won't carry vinyl of an act unless they can move so many units. So while you can find the new Billie Eilish or the new Gwen Stefani vinyl at a Target, you're not going to find 99.9% of what I write about. Uh, Because indie music is where my heart is. I always say that the major label industry can't survive without the independent record industry. You know, people don't... There's. I'm not saying people don't fall in love with big mega artists on a major label. But 9 out of 10 people like something on an independently owned label more than something on a big label. You have to understand most of these giant labels sign 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bands, many of which you've never heard of. Whereas a good independent label, if they're getting word out, any, or if you're just paying attention, you'll find so many amazing artists. Major labels usually sign artists because they're trying to figure out how many records they're going to sell. The major label industry is run by people in their 60s trying to figure out what people in their 20s like. Independent lab labels are labors of love. And I've said on here a million times, every independent label that supports what we do with this podcast and with uh, closed caption, I can't think enough. Everything from sending me a photo when I need it to sending me things early and asking me if I want to write about them in a day or two, sending me albums very early for review purposes, getting me into shows. Uh, it's a really magical world dealing with independent labels. Not that my contacts at major labels are great too, but it's always nice to talk to somebody from an independent label because I usually find that we're on the same page. And what I'm talking about kind of goes into the guest on our episode today, uh, the young artist has not toured yet, but such an amazing guitarist, amazing songwriter, somebody that I've always been intrigued by from afar because you can kind of talk to him about anything and he'll walk you through the process of what's going on with his band. And I feel like with the right push, they actually could be on to something next year. They're in the middle of recording uh, a new record with Steve Christensen, who's worked with countless Houston bands, but also uh, Krungbin and Leon Bridges and many, many other artists. And the artist I'm talking about is a band called Howard and the Nosebleeds, and their lead singer and guitarist, Preston Dow. I've known Preston for a while, but I didn't really know that much about him. And when you do interviews, I say this all the time, you really only talk to who you want to talk to. Life's too short to interview somebody I don't care about. But Howard and the Nosebleeds put out a record called Get Psychic, and it's a psych rock record. But what impresses me the most of it is even at two years old, it does not sound like a modern psych rock record at all. It is very trippy and mysterious, and it's got classic rock, but it also has these psych elements in it. But over the years, I've noticed a lot of what gets called psych rock or garage rock or even prog rock kind of falls within the same parameters. So anytime somebody does something different, like I said before, I'm immediately interested. And... uh I learned a lot about Preston in this episode and how he came up, what inspired him, uh, how he goes about writing music. And he, for a younger artist, he's had a pretty incredible life already. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I do. So now, here's Preston Dow of Howard and the Nosebleeds. All right. So... Are are you from Houston or are you from yes, somewhere else? I am from Houston. What side of town did you grow up on? Suburbs, kind of like not in Katy, but out on the west west side, out towards that way. And you lived out there till when? Till I went to college in Nashville, where I went to I went to Belmont, and I was uh, suspended after about a year. 
What did you get suspended for? For uh, having weed in our dorm rooms. But honestly, we just got... I think it was... I mean, that was like what they... That was like what we got in trouble. That was like what... The straw that broke the camel's back. I think it was just like... Just a general trouble-making... <laughs> just general trouble-making general... Uh, ne'er-do-wellism or something. And then they caught us doing something stupid. They're like, well, now we can kick you out. You know. You know, there's a kid in San Marcos I knew that got it overturned in Texas, where they can't ca- they can't kick you out until you have a court date. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like you know, it's uh, it goes against law. You know. Well, I should uh, go back in time. His name's Brian. I can't remember what his last name was. He was the most stone dude I ever met, but he was very vigilant in that. <laughs> but know? he's like he's legally some of the some of the, bi- the you know the biggest stoners know the law really well because they're ready for that 100%. I've been accused by cops of being a stoner because I knew my rights. I'm like, no, I'm just not stupid. You know? Like, what, you <laughs> like pot- are you on drugs? Like, what are you, a pothead? Cause, like, no, I just know what the law is and isn't. This is not the law, you know? <laughs> uh, so what'd you do after you... Well, we'll kind of roll back. Like, we'll get into the college thing in a bit. You... Did you grow up around music at all? Like, was anybody in your family a yeah, musician? Yeah, yeah. Well, my dad wasn't a good musician, at least not at the point, like, in our, uh, you know, when he was, you know, having kids and stuff. I th- He used to always say that he was good at drums, but none of us ever heard him play drums except for, like, once or twice in a guitar center or something. And with the electric drum kit, he'd be like, here, put this on. And then he'd just be like go crazy and you'd be like I think that was I can't tell right and uh but he would always play acoustic guitar and listen to music and then there was also like the church stuff where there was a lot of singing and and I went to little music classes when I was a kid where they'd be like oh here's a tambourine like everybody sings and yeah just little things like that but it was really my dad playing acoustic guitar trying to play Rush and Stevie Ray Vaughan and things like that uh, hearing that growing up was really my first uh, exposure to music and what eventually made me want to play guitar and stuff. I mean, was it a thing where your dad's trying to play all this stuff, but he's playing, is that, he's listening to mostly 80s stuff, I guess? Yeah, he was into like, like he loved Journey and he loved, yeah, Van Halen and he loved, you know, yeah, like Leonard Skinner and. I mean, like like the Rolling Stones and Fleetwood Mac, like like some '70s stuff too. But it was it was mostly like a lot of '80s rock. Yeah, yeah, a lot of kind of corny stuff. There's some corny stuff there, and there's good stuff there. No, there's there's, there's a lot. I can really appreciate. Like I had that phase of like being completely opposed to all of it, being like fuck Van Halen, like even like wanting my I didn't even want my guitar to sound like a guitar. I wanted it to sound like a synthesizer and all this stuff. And then you know coming around and appreciating aspects of of that music too you know you know it's it's not the same as when i was 13 and like since you know yeah it's like the first live album i've ever heard or something and you know but at the same time like like yeah i can i can appreciate i you know i I think we're we can all say this at this point in time like i can appreciate like a a little bit of a van halen concert or something like that something like something uh unashamed like I, that it's like I grew up around that my older brother loved Van Halen I never I would never call Gr- Van Halen the greatest band ever but I think I said this when Eddie Van, da- Van Halen died I didn't want to be Eddie Van Halen but I wanted to play like him I, I read you I read yeah. that and I, I, I yeah 
Well, because he did seem kind of like an asshole. Yeah. But at the same time, like, that way of playing guitar... I mean, I think I said this to McCullough and, and Mikey one time a while back, and it was also at Double Trouble. I was like, you know, Eddie Van Halen's such a creative musician for such a, like, for such a sort of uncreative, like, genre that he, he sort of made... All his songs were, were... I mean, a lot of his songs weren't that creative, but his... I mean, he completely innovated the instrument, his way of har yeah. harmonically brilliant a lot of the time just like crazy but and then it was like almost like almost like wait like wasted but that was the thing is like he didn't want to make like some high art or something he just wanted to make music that everybody could just there's not a lot something. of there's not a lot of money there's not as much money in high art as there is in putting on a jumpsuit and running around on an arena right stage, and david lee know? roth jumps 12 feet in the air right into a mountain of cocaine and a lot <laughs> a lot of those bands were ruined by keyboards oh yeah well isn't that what they got in the 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 whole like fight with david lee roth or something was about was like other than just ego and stuff was like eddie's bringing in all these keyboards or something and everybody was freaking out yeah there was a comic that had a joke about eddie van halen always smiling but i can't remember what it is but if you go back and watch any of those videos he's always smiling i don't get with it with his so. mouth wide open yeah well my okay a, a friend of mine um anthony osgang he painted the um, the cat for con for the mgmt congratulations cover uh -huh. he told me that david lee roth told him to always in press photos or whatever always have your mouth wide open in amazement as if you're just amazed at yourself as if you just blew your okay. own mind and that's the, that was uh, advice that he he got from David Lee Roth passed on to me so I can imagine that they were all kind of on that same vibe there David Lee Roth is open. annoying <laughs> as hell but also <laughs> unbelievably impressive yeah he kind of knows what he's talking about but he's, he's he is like very He's like, he's like a, he's almost like somebody who fell asleep in a tanning bed or something. But he's like, he's, but That's he super is like, true, yeah. he's, he's, there's something brilliant about him. He, he knows, he's, he's real. His uncle uh, was one of the most famous promoters slash agents of comics up to a certain era. He owned a club. Some like Vegas type entertainer. No, no, no. Uh, this is like, this is in New York. Oh, okay. You should listen to his WTF pod with Mark Maron. Oh, you will cool, yeah. learn so much about David Lee Roth and Van Halen. Some of it I knew. Van, the Van Halen brothers were treated like garbage when they were kids. Not by oh, their I, parents, I but heard, by their peers yeah, I heard and that stuff there like was that. like racism or something yeah. that they had to endure. Yeah, I, uh, so, and, and everything that David says is probably true because he, he said something like the Van Halen brothers wanted to rock out. And I was like, you have to add Sam Cooke so people can shake their booty. Girls don't want to hear two-hour solos. And yeah. that's all true. That I mean, is a good point. Yeah. Um, but so, so you're having to grow up around all this '80s stuff. And as a kid, I'm sure you don't know what's garbage and what isn't. What kind of turned you on to oh, yeah. guitar? Well, I think it was like literally. I think it was just seeing my dad like play these songs, and I mean, you know how it is. Like almost when you, like, because you play guitar. Yeah. So like before. Like, before you learn how to play guitar, if, like, everything that somebody, everybody, everything they're doing sounds like magic. You're like, how the hell does somebody figure that out? And seeing my dad fumble around trying to play, like, The Trees by Rush. Okay. Or fucking uh, Over the Hills and Far Away. Something, you know, these, like, finger-picky type things. Yeah. Hearing him try to pick these things, I was just like, I was like, what? Like, how is this possible? What is he doing? And, um, and then, I don't know, it was just something, like, we'd be in his car, and he'd be like... 
he'd be like, all right, like, listen to this guitar solo, isn't this, who could play like this? And he'd play some Eddie Van Halen guitar solo, or we'd, you know, go home, and he'd be like, I'm going to watch a concert, and he'd put on some concert and watch a concert. It was like a ritual, um, these things, like getting in his car, driving around, listening to music, him putting on concerts, watching them on TV, and um, so it's just kind of, just kind of there, and, and it was weird, I didn't really, like, think about it, like, oh, I want to do this someday, it was just kind of like, I would try, and it was there, and then he would just kind of be like, you guys want to learn how to do this, and then I guess one year, we, me and my brother were just kind of, we both were like, yeah, let's learn, and he found some guy at, like, our church, who, like, teaches a G and a C chord and a few other things, and, like, in retrospect, I don't know why my dad didn't just teach us the G and the C chord, right, but, like, it's like, you know, like, you know, that was the lesson, was, like, G, C, D, and uh, I remember me and my brother were both both learning, and my brother was like taking to it really fast, and I was like, I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> like you're gonna get good at guitar, huh? But then there was also this sense of something that I, I needed something to do, because I had been drawing, like, like like a madman my whole life, doing trying to make comics and stuff, and um, but like comic strips like in the newspaper, like funny comics, not yeah. like superhero comics and uh I was trying to do that all the time and there was and like I was a very lonely and like socially awkward and anxious kid and I was having trouble connecting to people and I couldn't do I couldn't like connect to people very well through just drawing and I would like show them a drawing or something they'd be like oh that's cool or they could read it or something but I, I had this idea of like if I played music I could do that with people or um I was like, you know, maybe people would think that was cool or something, <laughs> but the thing was, is once I started doing it, I didn't, like, tell anybody because I was, like, embarrassed. I didn't want to be, like, the kid who goes around telling everybody, hey, well, I play guitar, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so, but I, 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 it was kind of my lack of a social life, too, that, that helped, and, you know, I was prescribed Adderall, which, to help me do schoolwork, which I'm sure... I'm sure must have been having some effect on my uh, practice routine because I was just practicing con constantly when I got home from school and I would just play every day for hours and hours and like I remember there were like years of school where I like didn't have like I don't know if you still call it a play date in high school but like I wouldn't like have a friend come over or go to somebody's house or anything for like a whole year I would just be practicing guitar and stuff like it's like very antisocial to the point that I was like I was like oh I kind of like this like it's kind of nice but, uh, you know, I guess also that, you know, you could also say that's a side effect of being prescribed Adderall at a young age, too. It's like, turns off some of those emotions. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I was pretty quiet and to myself, and everything I learned on guitar was from... I didn't know, you know, I, I just didn't know. My older brother was out of the house, and so I wasn't going to go ask my dad, hey, is this a mandolin on this Led Zeppelin song, or is this right. actually the guitar... So I'm trying to figure out how to play these mandolin parts on the guitar and get the guitar to sound that way. Right, playing way up high on the neck. And then when I got older, like, not realizing it was two guitar parts because I didn't, I had not seen a picture of the Pixies when I first heard them. Right. And I'm trying to play their stuff, and I'm like, how am I going to play this second part? It has to be a recording trick. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, just stuff like that. And, and, and the flip side of it, of, like, hearing something that's, like, not that hard when you first start playing guitar and you're like how the fuck did somebody put like I remember Under the Bridge was one of those songs for me where I was like sure. it sounded so hard and it sounded like two or three guitar tracks or something to me like Little Wing is another one of those songs that's yeah. kind of like that you start playing 
<laughs> excuse me, start playing and you realize it's it's really not that crazy. Yes, I mean, Skinner was that way for me. Someone in this town that I knew when I was around like 16, I had said, oh, I don't know how Skinner does those songs. He's like, those songs are real easy, and when you learn them, you're going to try to figure out why did they have three guitar players. Right. And it that's is exactly kind of weird. what happened. They had three guitar players. And then, and then, you know, somebody else pointed out to me that was funny that, like, you know, they'd have that, <coughs> excuse me, they'd have that, like, 10-minute solo in Freebird. But like they they would play it the same every time. Yeah, it's like the which is so funny. It's like you play this ten minute guitar solo, play the same thing the whole time. It's like it's uh, it's uh, kind of paradoxical almost. It is. Like, yeah, it, I I don't I don't even begin to kind of frame my mind around Skinner, but it, it was one of those things because when I was younger, they had these things called solo guitars, and that's originally what I wanted. Eddie Van Halen played one, and it was this little small guitar you could play solos on. Oh, did it have like the like? It was no, like a really short no scale little guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, uh, but my dad's like, if you're getting a guitar, you're getting a full size guitar. So that was out the window. Uh, and I learned real fast that I didn't have the gear to make. I couldn't play eruption because I didn't have the gear to make the uh, distortion. Some dis- yeah, you need at least some distortion because you need that gain high for the uh, for the feedback. Yeah, for the yeah for. Sustain, and then of course once I figured it out, I feel like an idiot because I thought it was so difficult. It was really pretty basic, actually. Some of it, some of it. I mean, there's like parts of eruption that are that are like I learned them when I was like 14, and there's parts of it that I I feel like I'll never know, I'll never be able to play. Like that. There's yeah, like I don't think I can play it exactly like him. I know guys that can. Yeah, but I like. There was a degree of learning to me that realized, what do I need to learn this for? I'm never going to play this for anybody. You know. Right. Um, so, oh, sure, sure, I get it. You're so like, how old are you when you're, like, start learning guitar? Like 13, 13, pretty much. I mean, again, it had been around all the time. But, I, you know, and I had friends, too. Like, I had a friend who, he was into Green Day. And I remember we would, we'd, like, at Boy Scout campouts, we would go, we would talk, and we would stay up late, and he'd be like, or oh, we'd go on walks and get lost. Uh-huh. Everybody would be like, where the fuck did these kids go? We didn't understand the concept of, like, kids disappearing in the forest could be scary for adults. But, right. You know, and he would just tell me about, he'd be like, oh, this band Green Day, they have a song, you know, they said, you know, they said bad words, and they do this, and, they, and, and you know, he'd tell me things like that, and I was like, wow, that's so crazy, and he played guitar, and I thought he was super cool, and so, it was just like, it was just something that I thought, I was like, this is cool, like, people that I, that I look up to do this, and then, at a certain point, my parents were like, well, if you're serious, we're gonna make you take guitar lessons. And so at some point I had to start taking lessons and that was like what really helped me because there's this outside structure that me, like, I wasn't going to get this, you know, like the same, like a 30 year old man could go, well, I want you to learn this ACDC song and then this Metallica song and then this Jimi Hendrix song and then these songs are here. And he's giving, and he's like planting these seeds, like teaching me music history a little bit. Meanwhile, I'm going home and playing Guitar Hero every day because it's like when Guitar Hero was like right. a huge deal. Right. It's so like everything I'm doing is like pointing back to this, and um, it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know. Sorry, I kind of lost my train of thought just there. No, you're good. Let, let me ask you this: so, what was the, what was the first band? that you remember like locking in on well the first I remember like the first band that I locked in on well it's it's hard to say because like 
Van Halen was a huge deal for me, but that was something that I got from my dad. Sure. And then on my own, I got into like, and I can't remember the exact order, but I remember as I started to get away from the Van Halen stuff, I remember I, I liked I liked Weezer. I was into those early Weezer albums. They're great records, yeah. Yeah, and then I was into these aren't these aren't as timeless, uh, like the Lincoln Park Lincoln Park and uh, some like. That My Chemical Romance album, The Black Parade, I remember being really into that. Yeah, but that's and, age, too. Yeah, know? I mean, I was like 13, 14, and then I got into the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and I was into, like, Jimi Hendrix and stuff for my guitar lessons, and that was a big door opener for me because that was, like, this is when I was, like, exploring influences, and so I'd listen to some band that I like, and I'd go, well, what are they listening to? Yeah. And then I would go, oh, well, they're listening to Frank Zappa, and then that would be, like, boom, now here's, like, 50 new albums, and all this new stuff and I and so it was, it was like it was this process of trying to figure out what was how these guys could like what was the equation behind the, the music that I liked like not to think of it like math but it's like you know there's yeah Jimi Hendrix you had Funkadelic you had this and this and this and you you're gonna you know you're gonna get something that's influenced by all those things and right. so I would find bands that that just that I, I could that I was like that's what I wanted to sound like or they had some fusion that that I was looking for in some way and um, yeah the Chili Peppers were a big band for me for for a long time for that and throughout high school and then I remember getting into like MGMT and a lot of like 80s new wave and like psych rock from there through looking at their influences because yeah. they had like a, a, a you know a different a totally different uh, spectrum of music that influenced them than like influenced say the Red Hot Chili Peppers or right. something. And so uh we well, have to remember the Red Hot Chili Peppers have been around a really long time. They've been time. around quite some time, haven't they? Or like early mid eighties, you know? Yeah. So it makes sense that they would go back to Funkadelic, all the George Clinton stuff. Yes. All that stuff is you're never no one's ever gonna make a funk record better than that. Better than That's that ever it. again. Yeah. <laughs> that could be the only funk somebody listens to, and it could be, it could sustain them. I've said for years about <laughs> white funk bands. If you cannot be as good as Funkadelic, there is zero reason for you to do this band. Dude, I was in a funk band for a while. That I that like to be fair, like I was. It was my first band, and I I was like very. It was Soul Creatures in town, but like I wanted to make them more psychedelic and more like George Clinton, and they were like. I mean, like, I actually really respect what their vision was. They wanted something a little tighter and, like, retro in a different way. But I was coming from the... I was so obsessed with George Clinton and Funkadelic in college. And uh, it was, like... Like, now I don't even listen to it hardly compared to what I used to listen to it like. It was just... It well, was, you can get burnt out on any music. Yeah, man. And, and it's interesting that, like, these things, they... It's it's like a, it's like a movie or something where you come back and you watch it a few years later or something and it's like oh my god I didn't even notice like listening yeah. to Funkadelic later and I'm like holy cow or man like bands that I would get my my guitar teacher would like recommend me to learn something from some band and then next thing you know like 20 I'm 25 and I'm listening to them and I'm like okay like he got that like somehow this guy figured I was right. gonna be into this later or something but it's hard to get to everything like I. Oh, yeah. I'm 45 years old. I've been doing this... <laughs> you get to a lot of things. Since I was 15, and there are... I'll be honest, like, Zappa is one of them, where, like, it was about five years ago, I finally sat down and dedicated trying to get into it. Yeah. 
And, it, you know, like I've told this story multiple times because of something I saw Miles Davis say in a documentary, I understood jazz more. I understood Captain Beefheart more. Right. Uh, and, you know, all that stuff is in the Zappa circle. But it's just right. like, and now when people are like, oh, well, what do you go buy now? It's like, well, if I want a record, somebody will just send it to me. Sure. So, and there's stuff I like now that's new. But if I'm buying records, it's almost always like jazz or weird music from Brazil or South America. Just something yeah, different, you know? Like yeah. a, it, it, It's not like pop rock stuff. Yeah, but, so I, but I would be lying if I said that I went most of my life without really getting into Queen. Yeah. I, I didn't hate it. I just never really gave it a lot of time. Yeah, I'm kind of like that with Queen right now. Until about two years ago, I decided, oh, you know what? I should probably listen to some Queen. And I was yep. like, oh, wow, it's so much better than I remember when I was a kid because they were still active when I was a kid. Man, I went through at some point, some people are probably not going to like this, but I went through at some point, I don't remember when, I added every Queen thing possible to my Spotify discography to where if I go like shuffle my liked songs, Queen comes up like immediately, like yeah. all the time. And a lot of the songs, I was just like... I, I did not I was not feeling them I was I just wasn't but I think you have to be in the headspace for that band you, you have to like and I think to be fair also I wasn't listening to, to these in album formats they're coming up in playlists and sure. stuff like that shuffling around but it was I mean but the but the variety of their sound and the um, Freddie Mercury's tenacity and like I don't know Brian May's guitar playing is like incredible that like this that sound is I mean, what can you say? That guitar sound is is perfect for what it is. Especially because he plays with like a six pence piece or yeah, some like shit. a penny, yeah. and like he built that guitar. It's like it's like somebody said it's like building a uh, a car with your dad, and then and then going and taking it to the Formula One racing, yeah, races and winning. It's like yeah, <laughs> no, it, it's insane. And apparently, there's five more of that guitar or something like that, and he still just plays the original. Yeah. So yeah, I. It was the mythos that got me more into it this second time around, and that's how a lot of things are. Where right. someone cites it as a reference, and uh, okay, like I had heard "Can," I had heard uh, 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 "What are they called?" Uh, Noi. But it wasn't until I interviewed somebody I really admired, which is the bassist from Wire. Uh huh. Where he brought up Cannon Noy, and I went back. I had the records. And you can and I hear the connection then. And I immediately bands. was like, "Holy shit! It's like there. Yeah. It's like the continuation." But I never made the connection, you know. Yeah. So it's that. just, I think, and I think a lot of music is headspace. There's stuff I listen to at ten in the morning, and I'm like, "This sucks." And let's do it again at two in the afternoon. I'm like, "Oh, this is really good." You have music that you have music that only sounds good when you're with certain people. Yeah. Like there's this band that. I'll, I'll tell you, it's it's uh, it's this electronica band. It's called Spangle. Okay, I've never heard of them. They are a like absurdly over the top psychedelic like trance band, like not even not a band like trance DJ act. And they're like, I don't know. But I had this friend in high school when I would hang out with him. It sounded otherworldly. And I'd go back and listen to it at my house, and it just sounds like like corny trance. Yeah. And I'm just like, and it's and it's like. It's it, it it's like this friend just embodied that music in a certain way and that and the whole atmosphere fit and that music was like part of it and it was like part of him. But then it's like you know, it was almost like a part of an experience or something 
more than it was like music of, of its own, you know, which may be the truth for a lot of trance music. No, I don't know. But... The Red Hot Chili Peppers unfortunately spun off a, bo- a lot of bands that didn't sound like them, but they were funk oriented. Oh, yeah. All of oh. which I don't get. I've never gotten into Mr. Bungle. I've never gotten into Infectious Grooves. And there's some, there some uh, Mr. Bungle and Red Hot Chili Peppers beef, wasn't there, where it was yeah. like, I came up with this, well, I came up with this. And All like, of that stuff I never got. I like Mac, Mike Patton. I like, yeah, he's, he's, I like his solo stuff, and I like, an animal, uh, isn't he? I like Tomahawk, he's, he's but... Mr. Bungle was a band I could never get. I still don't get it. I, yeah. And it probably all it's goes kind of back sappy. to that bias to... Yeah. It kind of goes back to that bias of, well, if it's not Parliament or Funkadelic, then I don't know why this You're like, then why are we listening to this funk yeah. here? Yeah. It's like Ska. I mean, Ska hasn't really changed that much. The two bands that changed it, My My Boss Tones and... In the modern era. And... Uh, Special. Voodoo Glow Skulls. I kind of thought, okay, I don't know where else you can take it. I don't dislike. I hear really good dancehall ska bands every now and again, and I like admire and appreciate what they're doing. But as far as like a new version of it, no, I haven't heard that. And it's not a music that I even want to listen to. You know, people have said the same thing about the electric guitar. Where like, um, it was the guitar. It was John Frusciante from the Red Hot Chili Peppers who said this one time, and I kind of I'm, I'm inclined to agree with him. And you could throw some other names in there too, but he was like, you know, Jimi Hendrix kind of like did this thing with the electric guitar in the 60s and then like Eddie Van Halen kind of pushed it forward and not a lot of like there hasn't been a lot of like mind-blowing innovations on the guitar since then really it's kind of like like that aspect a lot of the guitars figured out it's like here that's this is how you work and I hate to say that I mean and a lot of people say you know you look at relative to a lot of folk instruments, like it's a not, it's it's an, it's not an old instrument, right? Like I mean, lutes right. are old and stuff, but I guess the guitar is fairly new. Well, in some it's ways. this thing too where you have to consider, in the hands of some people, why they didn't do something innovative, like pushing the instrument forward. What they played on it was innovative. The Who took R and B and basically made it rock and roll right and at maximum fucking volume right there's been a lot of they didn't like invent a whole new style of music or anything right but it's almost like that thing of like and I saw I saw you like uh, shit talking Eric Clapton right and he's like he's almost one of those people that he didn't innovate things like he or he combined things to innovate here's what I always he tell like everybody inventing, blind uh, faith Blues Breakers, Cream. Cream. You're never going to beat those. No, that's, that's flawless. <laughs> but Clapton's solo is shit. It's Derek garbage. and the Dominoes? You put Derek and the Dominoes in the good pile? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everything he's done collaborative. In fact, that's, that that's Gibson... His, that's his blues, magic is, yeah. as a collaborator. That Gibson Blues Breaker amp, that combo was made for him. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's because why I, he told them, I, I need a guitar that I can put in the trunk. Of, I mean, I need an amplifier I can put in the trunk of my car. Yeah. And that's what they made. You know, That's I mean, cool. and Blues Breakers is a great band, and Cream is a great band, and Blind Faith. Have you seen the uh, Ginger Baker documentary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The whole story Clapton gives about Ginger Baker being in Blind Faith is hilarious. All that, and I don't hate Clapton; he's no, great. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah. like him solo has never been my thing ever. Oh no, no, it, it's more like pop. I mean, I know? used to, I used to, I used to. He, the part of the reason I brought this up, I used to really hate Clapton. I used to be like. Fuck Eric Clapton, like not like hate him, but like I really didn't like his style of guitar playing or what he did at all. Now I didn't realize how much uh, his style of guitar playing I actually did like and how 
but how he was so it was like the archetype of that like 60s British guitar player sure and so in so many ways he had influenced me but I remember being like oh man fuck this guy and um just kind of I've kind of come around but at the same time like I uh I I I uh, I I totally understand I mean in yeah I totally understand and a lot of his music is fairly bland like I don't think I don't think it's like uh I, I almost feel like he wouldn't even uh he would be like, yeah, I mean, it's pretty calm now. Like, when I was learning guitar, it's still Cream rich, was almost exclusively what I listened to for like a year. Cream I was wanted to learn all of those songs, and I loved how they structured everything. And you know, my brother played drums. There is no way in hell to this day he could ever play half as good as Ginger Baker. In fact, somebody has found this podcast. Jawad Taylor did a jazz festival in Europe. And Ginger Baker was playing with one of the bands, and he was like, dude, he still shreds. Yeah, I bet. You know, like, I mean, he's dead <clears throat> he, now. He's, oh, he's yeah. dead. Okay, I was going to ask. But it's just that thing where I never, ever, if I go through, oh, I'm going to go listen to Blind Faith and whatever, I use Tidal, and it says, oh, you might like Eric Clapton. I'm like, no, I'm okay. I'll You're like, to, I like, know who that is. You yeah, don't have to recommend Eric Clapton. every band if I know, he's been in. If, if I know not, who Blind Faith is, like, I know who Eric Clapton yeah, is. Yeah, it would be like me saying, I love The Clash, but I'll... I hate Big Audio Dynamite too. Yeah, which is a band that came out of the Clash. You know, right, like, okay. or you like the Thompson Twins, but that, or you like the Specials. Yeah, it doesn't mean you're gonna like Fun Boy Three, which is Terry Hall's shitty New Wave project. After, right? So, you yeah, don't have to like everything associated with the right. band. That you uh, like. All so, the Paul McCartney solo music. So, what was your first band? Was your first band that? that well, in college, I kind of had bands, but they weren't. They weren't. I wouldn't call them real bands. We would record music sometimes, but we wouldn't ever play shows. We would play, like, sort of informal things every once in a while around our campus. But that was almost like musical pranksterism. There is something I will say, if you go online called Anthology of the Moon, if you look it up on Bandcamp, you find an album that me and my friend made in our dorm room in the process of, like, getting kicked out of college. Like, you can hear it, like, we're getting high making this album in our dorm room. And that is what ends up getting us kicked out of college. Okay. And there's even, like, lines in this thing about, like, getting kicked out of school, which, like, kind of freaked us out, like, later. Because we're like, why did we have a song about getting kicked Like, we right. didn't, I think that was going to happen. But, uh, uh, anyways, then the first band I was in in Houston where I was, like, gigging and stuff was called Soul Creatures, right? Yeah. And Soul Creatures was, uh, <clears throat> Russ Martinez was the singer. And Michael Dean was their old guitar player that I, I replaced he was dropping out, and he ended up coming and playing bass with us later in not, Hard in the Nose, Not please. Mike Dean, the record producer that's produced for Travis Scott and uh, Actually, yes, Kanye no. West, and not Mike Dean, who is in Corrosion of Conformity. A no, different yet another, Mike Dean. Yet yeah. another one. Mike, Michael Dean, who I've never heard called Mike, who, uh, who plays bass in Texture Yellow. Um, but yeah, he... Uh, and our drummer also Victor Sanchez plays also also plays in Texture Yellow. Now Michael doesn't play with us anymore, um, but um, Wyatt, Wyatt Mann plays bass with us now. And um, yeah, like I said, Ken Ballard came in and recorded the keys on our uh, on what we were re- working on with Steve Christensen recently. Well, so like you, so you do Soul Creatures. What comes after that? Soul Creatures after that. Well, okay, so there was like stuff that I was doing on the side. 
was there were these open mics called the Jenner House open mics. Have you ever heard of these? Yeah, I've been to the Jenner House before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So those were going on, and that was very formative because I would go perform my own stuff there. And Soul Creatures was like I was just playing guitar in this band that already existed, and I I you know I could have been a better band member in retrospect, but that was my band for learning like what not to do and what to sure. do. And like, like I was like, sometimes I'm like, you know, if if me, if I, if that band like just were to totally re-exist as it was right then, and they were like, you want to play with me, play with us right now, like I would probably could actually do what they were looking for at that point in time. Whether I would want to stick around and do it for for eternity, I don't know. But uh, like I get, like I was, I couldn't keep a part still. Like I would just improvise everything, and I wouldn't settle on a part. So real fast, interrupt. Oh, sorry. I yeah. was in a band, and yeah. I did the same thing, and they all hated me. Yeah. Because whatever we did on the record, I would always change it live, because that was more interesting to me. It's more but if fun. You don't have a drummer or a bassist that can know that's going to happen. And I wouldn't tell anybody here. That was well, the other we had weird horns one. too. Was the problem? It was like too many parts. Yeah, well, there's too many moving parts, and you know, you, I always play to the drummer, and so right. yeah, it's this thing where everybody just kind of turns and looks at you like, "What the fuck are you doing, man?" But that's the thing. You know? In Howard and the Nosebleeds, it's understood that I'm improvising all the time, kind of not yeah. like crazy. Well, sometimes, hopefully, but like, you know, it's like when we're in the studio, it was kind of like there was one day where our keyboardists. Ken couldn't be there at the same time we were all going to be there. We were like, okay, well, Preston improvises a lot of his parts anyways, so you can just, like, add in your things afterwards based on those improvisations and stuff. And it's kind of understood that, like, that we, we're leaving space for my parts to have improv on them. And, right. not, you know, not that other people in the band don't also, but it's just kind of the nature of, of the band. But anyways, after, after Soul Creatures, so I was like, or during Soul Creatures, I was like doing, uh, I was I was going to the Jenner House. I was doing like, like going to performance art shows. I was playing like this weird avant-garde ass like bluegrass music with this guy with Will Chorba, who you know. I would play with Will, and I would, he would make me sit there and play G chords for hours. It kind of felt like uh, being in a Zen monastery and like being forced to like like clean the whole place or something just play this yeah. g chord for like five days i mean will will we know him we all know will he is a like a like a like a an eclectic i hate to use the word it almost sounds like a like a like a subtle insult to say eclectic no no like i a, think he's one of the most interesting guys you'll meet but he has a vision for what he does and he's steadfast yeah and so and so you know he was like he was like oh you're making all this electric music and me and him and this guy Andrew had this project called Frog Rock for a second where we synthesized like it's like sort of avant-garde like drone music with like the John Fahey finger style picking with like Pink Floyd guitar shit and um, that was going on and then this band called Sydney Jane and Adventures in Jane's World is what she ended up calling the, the full name uh, this girl Sydney Jane, if you know her, came up in a pro. Well, okay, I got connected to this girl actually through this guy named R.L. Lumsey, and this guy was like one of the Vanguard in D'Angelo's band. He okay. was like one of these background singers, and he had won a Grammy. And he was like, but he he, uh, like not to talk shit, but he wasn't the most down to earth about it. It didn't seem like. Yeah. Okay. He had like this whole empty huge house and the only thing in there was like this one Grammy and it was like Oh wow, that's crazy. And like he had shirts that he had made with like his own name on them, but it wasn't like cute like oh like you made your own merch. It was like kinda weird, like you made it 
you made this shirt with your name on it like it was kind of weird anyways but this guy's like i got like he's just but he was a murderously talented drummer and um he wasn't a bad dude or anything but there was some there was just kind of a weird energy and he was like well i want you to meet these sisters and he sets me up for this gig man i was like the day i was supposed to meet them i got lost driving to his house and so i didn't meet them and so he's like whatever just show up at the gig I'm like, okay. And I show up at this gig, like, not knowing any of the songs, not knowing, like, how many people are in the band. I didn't know anything. And wow. I, and, and in retrospect, I didn't know how weird that was. I was like, cool, whatever. Like, that's fun. Like, I was very confident. I was like, oh, I'll just jam along. Like, what are they going to do? Like, what's it going to be? Some, like, crazy jazz shit? No, it's going to be fine. Like, I'll improvise. And I get there, and there's another guitar player, and he's like, what the, he's like, what the fuck is going on? Like, who's this other guy? And I'm like, hey, do you have a power supply I could borrow? Do you have, like, this? And he's like, you don't have your own, like, extension court you know whatever and he's like this 40 year old dude he used to be in the military he's like a zen buddhist kind of guy very disciplined and so he's like what the fuck is this kid that i've never seen before never right. heard of showing up and like now he's playing in the band and playing in my band too okay and so I, I played with them for like six to eight months and i didn't realize that the the head of that band and the head of soul creatures at the time they were like had been like high school rivals or some shit oh, i have weird. no idea and so i had no idea i was like I was in, in between these two people's enmity, but it wasn't anything, nothing dramatic or bad ever came out of it, but then that Sydney Jane band just blew up because the bassist and the drummer were mad that nobody was getting paid, which to be fair, nobody was getting paid. Nobody's getting paid in Soul Creatures either, but I was like, these are my first bands, I don't give a fuck, like, right, I'm just right. like playing on stage, like I didn't think I was going to get to do that. And uh, so the whole thing is just like all these new experiences, and I'm getting like a little bit more reigns in each of these bands but they're they're both like these like there's like a funk band and this like sort of like neo soul like r&b band with like some hip-hop influences going on and stuff what i was saying was like a lot of my early projects were really funk influenced and like even that thing in college neon soul that like well neon soul was like that was a band in college we recorded like one song which was really really fun but then like the anthology of the moon project was also like, the guy that I was collaborating with in that, Nate Foley, is, like, a neo-soul guitar player. An absolute virtuoso. You should check him out, Nate Foley. He has a, he has something on Bandcamp that he put out. It's, like, an instrumental thing. But, um, but that was all, you know, like, that guy was coming from gospel and stuff. And then, yeah, like, the Soul Creatures was a funk band with, like, a lot of dance elements. And then the Sydney Jane band was, like, a neo-soul rock band with, like, some hip-hop elements. And I was playing in these bands, and yeah, like, the Soul Creatures kicked me out for being young and unreliable in some ways. And then the Sydney Jane thing, yeah, like I said, like, the the <coughs> band just kind of had some fighting and broke up. And then I was like, I, I think I think I just realized, and you know, I'd been doing that bluegrass shit on the side for fun, but that, that didn't work out because me and Will were, were, you know, on very different paths there. And, uh... I just, I ended up hearing about this party that was going on from the Jenner House folks, and it was like this uh, election night show where they were going to announce the winner of the 2016 election, and they are going to have some bands play at, at a, at a it literally called The Shed, somebody's like garage. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, right? You know the people. And I was like fucking I, I heard that they were gonna do this and it was like two weeks beforehand and I was like I got a band let me do it and I didn't have a band 
I was like, let me do it though. And they were like, of course, because they've seen me play at the Jenner house or whatever. So they were like, sure, go for it. I mean, what the fuck? It's our garage show. Who cares? Yeah. And uh, Ka, if you remember that band, Ka was going to play last. And they, the cops came and they didn't get to play. That sucks. But uh, I threw, I ran into Garrett Webster, Trash Cat. Like what? Like the day after I said I was going, I wanted to do that, or like the day I said I wanted to do that, I ran into this guy Garrett, and there's something about you never just meet, so you just see somebody and you're like, hey, what's up? And I just saw him, and he's like, what's up? I'm, and he just immediately goes, hey, I'm a drummer looking for bands to commit to, and I that was literally like the first oh, sentence he wild. said to me, yeah. and I said, come play with me, and he goes, great, I know a bass player, and the bass player was Ricky D from Ganesha, who was coincidentally like the first li- like local one of the first local shows I ever saw was at For the Community and I saw Ganesha playing and I remember sitting there thinking oh like I could do this like seeing them play I'm like oh these guys are headlining this thing like like I can hear them play guitar I was like I could I could play these types of songs I could headline these things yeah. and now Ricky was going to play bass with me I was like oh that's full circle yeah. like that's funny I'll do it and I mean I so I practiced with Garrett one time go over practice with Ricky one time and then the first time we're all in the room together is at that like show and oh, wow. I start like I'm gonna sound check or something sound check at the fu- in a fucking garage like I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> right and I start kind of playing messing around with this song and then Ricky and Garrett just like follow along we improvised basically the whole show I mean we had like worked out some songs and stuff but I mean it was like probably the most free flowing improvised show I'd ever played in my life where it was just like just, and, and, and there was something so aggressive about the way that Garrett was playing drums specifically that made me just like like have to shred basically which yeah. I had not I had kind of done that in the other bands but not to like a crazy degree and so it was something that I, I at that point in time or I had kind of grown apart from I was like oh you know my dad was into Eddie Van Halen and all this stuff I'm not into Eddie Van Halen I had gotten into funk music and I wanted in like in like ambient music and like strange like like new wave and electronic music i didn't want to make like guitar solo music right? right but here i am and they're like come on solo dude and i'm soloing and i'm like all right it's working and it's cool and then we finish playing and then the cops show up and trump's the president all at the same time and we're just like well that's that and i'm like well i guess that's the band now yeah i guess it's the band because we had said if, the, if it worked out we would go and the, we'd call it howard and the nosebleeds and where does the name come from? <clears throat> the name came from one of one of their friends was making a very dark joke about he was like, "What if I gave some? Uh, what if I put glass?" He was talking about some dude he didn't like or something, and he's like, "What if I gave him cocaine with glass in it?" And I said, "How are the nosebleeds?" Ha ha ha! And I go, "Did you just say Howard and the nosebleeds?" And he was like, "No." And then and then it was Ricky. God bless him. Was like, you gotta take that band name. That's gotta be the band name. And I was like, no, it's too ridiculous. And he's like, come on, dude. Who cares? So Ricky, Ricky, uh, even though we had a bit of a parting of ways, like he helped me come up with the band name. Him and Garrett were essential to the uh, to the starting of the band. They were like uh, their their energy of just like go was was completely how the band started. It was it yeah. was that was it. And and but at a certain point. Um, there was just difference in styles and practicing and stuff and uh we just started getting the band became a little more organized and the the we let let i mean we still jam we almost jam more now it seems like but like in a weird way it got it got more structured and it was like one by one people just would switch out and then somebody else would come in and then somebody else would come in and there's been so many different people which is kind of like part of the 
the also part of the reason it's called Howard of the Nosebleeds. You know, um, like, I, I knew that I, I wanted and I knew there was going to be a lot of people that would play with us. Sure. And I had been in the Sydney Jane band. And for, not to talk shit to Sydney Jane because because she's she's talented and she's a cool person but like she named that band after herself and she didn't play any of the instruments right you know what i'm saying yeah that's a thing that happens a lot actually. that's a thing that happens a lot and i was in the soul creatures and the singer who didn't play any of the instruments who didn't want to jam with anybody what would was like i don't know like was was acting like it was their project and i was like i'm gonna name it after a fucking non-existent person and then i am actually gonna do everything and then sure. I'm going to call it, and so it's going to be the opposite of these things. So it's like this active rebellion in my head against these things I had been doing. And, um, and it was also just something different because I had been, I hadn't been in a, in a rock based project still. Like but all these bands had like a rock influence, but I was like, I want to make rock music. Yeah. Like, I wanted to just make rock music finally. And, you know, um, and there's like even like more so now there's more of like a funk influence coming back sort of a, like a soul R&B influence coming in our in the, the stuff where we just recorded. Well, that's that's part of what Psych is, right? And yes. It's got this like funk, R&B kind of, you know, most of the songs are structured with the exception of OCs and I guess King Gizzard. Most of the Psych <laughs> stuff is pretty structured similarly, especially like when you're looking at stuff. 80s or 60s. 60s Psych is really like funk and soul oh yeah you know uh, i mean that funkadelic stuff is like some of the most essential psychedelic albums of all time absolutely so how long are y'all a band before you decide to make the record well that was funny too we were probably so that was 2017 late 2017 when we started working on that and we had been the band right at late 2016 so i guess about a year year or so had gone by and what happened was our friend quinn hooked us up with an amazing uh, opportunity to record in a nice studio because he was working there and interning there and he was recording a band he needed to record a band to advance in his project and so we we were we were we were just off they were just said hey you want to record some music like i'm going to be recording here for a few months like there wasn't really like a goal in mind but we had our songs and they were like, and we had, and we knew we could just keep going back in. So we had probably four or five, six months of just going back into the studio. I don't remember. It could have been six months. feels like it wasn't that long, but it might have been where we'd go in once every few weeks or something. And we'd work for a day or so. And then, and you know, and then and we'd record some songs. And it was just, like I said, just try everything. Just go, go, go. And there's, you'll hear those songs have like fucking four guitar tracks five guitar tracks three guitar solos on every song with like you know do it like two like you know guitar in the right ear guitar in the left ear both soloing at the same time right, right. stuff like that and you know we were a trio we recorded that one and um it was at 226 studios and paul cox i believe is his yeah, last name, his name. Yeah. he mastered it and that guy is an incredible is incredibly talented has an has a wonderful studio space Quinn did an amazing job engineering the record and being being in there. I think it was, you know, it was it was just so fun for all of us. Quinn from Wax Dream, Quinn yeah. Decker, from Wax Dream, and he has his own solo project that he's doing. And um, yeah, we 
we recorded those songs it was like a flurry there was like no questioning anything the whole time and it was all with like a and i don't have and you were talking about gear earlier i don't have one piece of gear that i used on that album i don't have one of the like because you had a I, lot of gear stolen too. The, yeah I had a lot of gear stolen exactly and i have well i do have one of the amps but um the blues junior amp but like yeah i had a lot of gear stolen i lost some gear one time i think yeah, I lost some gear one time. It was awful. It was just this year of chaos. And, um, <laughs> like, yeah, so I had to, like, I start, I had to rebuild my pedal board, kind of. And so what I did first was I just went for effects that did the same thing, but they weren't the same pedal. Right. And then now I'm, like, kind of getting some of the same pedals again just because I was like, man, I really missed, you know, that one specific weird pedal that did this one thing. All right, I'll go get it. And um, it's kind of this this... It's kind of like it's kind of like listening to a band you used to listen to again or something like that. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember why I had this piece of gear or something, you know. Kind of like I like to use. I like certain effects that I really like to use, but I'm also like I want to be able to just play, you know, straight out of an amp without any effects, totally sufficiently. You know, that's yeah. always the the starting point, always the building block. It's hard to get to that point because it's so much easier to use a pedal. And it's fun. Yeah, and it's fun to, yeah. I mean, like, for years, people were like, I don't get why you have a wall. Well, I'll give you a better one. I had a Roto Vibe. You know what that is? Oh, like a Univibe type pedal, like the whooshings? Yeah. Man, and I've like, been obsessing about getting one of those. I bought one, and it broke. So and they do I, break I, pretty easily. So And yeah, I've been just, that. like, trying to, and I, all I've been doing, all I've been thinking about is getting another one since that happened. I obsessed over that pedal, and then I got it, and then I never used it. Yeah. Because I didn't know how to use it, you know? That was the problem. I would use it for, like, feedbacky shit. That oh, was it. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh... It's kind of a subtle effect. But it's a thing where people would, like, why do you have a roto vibe? And I'm like, oh, I just you, use it for this one thing. For this one part of the song or something? Yeah, well, it was just... So now I just Did you use it with so like much. the speed turned up and stuff? Or yeah. Like, yeah, like that's it, what I was imagining. You it, said feedback. Well, so I had one. I had you the, control it with your foot? I had the Ernie Ball that you were oh, controlling with your cool, foot. Man. And it was the same with a wall. People would ask, I don't get why you have a wall if you're going to set it to the lowest setting. And it's like, I just need it for one thing. But to me, nowadays, it's more important to have the ability to do it. But if you like said, well, what's a normal pedal setup? It's like a distortion pedal, a volume control pedal. A digital delay and a chorus and that's it you yeah. know like i don't really you don't really need more than that so because yeah everybody wants to get to where they can just rely on the amp you know oh yeah i know and you but you also have to have an amp that's good enough for that or not i don't want to say good enough but like you take no, that's a, fair i mean if you get any fender, but also like made for that like a fender amp like i have a beautiful twin reverb but i could never play a whole show with just i mean right just the twin reverb clean sound purely i mean i could but like you know, I could get an orange amp that has a channel switcher and has like a distortion channel and a clean channel right. and use that tube gain and nobody would notice that you didn't really have pedals. Right, that's true. Or, you know, yeah. I, I, the most impressed I've ever been is the least impressive band I've ever seen, which is Fish. When I was in... It was only a matter of time until Fish would come up. In the 90s, I saw Fish at Madison Square Garden because there was this girl that I liked in school and she was really cute. Yeah. And... She wanted to go to that show, and we went. And the only thing I walked away from the show was, I don't need a half stack. Because oh, okay. Trey Anastasio used a Fender Champ. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. That was it. That's the only 
presumably Ampy had. Well, I've also seen there are there's these speakers that he uses that apparently he built in the 80s or something, and he just uses the same. He just uses the same old speaker cabinets. The record comes out, and it's very different in that it's a psych record that sounds... It doesn't have all the trappings of a psych record. Of, like, new psych records? Yeah. I mean? uh, but I, I love that record, and I like how it's very free, and I know that you're a shredder, and until somebody goes to see you live, they don't realize how... Just Not that the record doesn't have good guitar work on it, but... To see you live because it's so improvised, it's so different. Yeah. Um, is that what's kind of going into this next record? Kind of. Like, it's... I feel like there's less guitar... Like there, like I said, there's less, there's less tracks. There's, like, less guitar tracks as an overall rule. Like, if you listen to, like, Little One or Unthink, most of the guitar solos, there's two guitar solos happening at the same time. Okay. And it's, like... There's one like up here and one over here, and they're both playing fast and stuff like that. Yeah. And with this, it was more like, um, like, all right, here's the guitar solo section. Like, and I was playing a little more, like, I guess choosing my notes a little more carefully. And there's some long solos on there and stuff. Don't get me wrong, but it's also, uh, it was, it was, it was a little, I don't know. It's like, I mean, there's definitely, like I, there's definitely guitar solos and stuff, but it's not like two or three guitar tracks all at the same time soloing at the same time, or uh, or like, oh, let's just add five guitar parts for the sake right. of it. It's almost it sounds it's pretty true to a trio quartet format. Are y'all recording live? Yeah. So there was that one day where our keyboard player Pat was like unable to come in at the same time as all of us. So one of the songs we tracked without him. But yeah, we rec- we record everything live, and he cuts the tape, and then brings it into his Pro Tools. System. Right. I, that the that method, because you're using Steve Christensen. Yeah. Is what I've used for years. If I want to record drums, because I'll record several commercials or whatever. Yeah. And if I record the drums, I record those analog, and then dump it into Pro Tools. Right. And then everything else you I get can that do one. through the computer. Right. Or we'll whatever, do vocals but. in. We'll do vocals like afterwards. We'll do vocals in Pro Tools yeah. or whatever. But it's just the ambient re- resonance of the tape picking up drums. Yeah. We could. I, I can't do it digitally. And we so. could never. We could never cut these songs one person at a time. Like we're, yeah. we're so used to playing them live, and uh, we're we're lucky that we got to play in that wonky power stream right before because yeah. it gave us a chance to like. We've been practicing these songs in our, you know, practicing it where we practice, but we hadn't played a set or anything in six months because of the virus. So yeah, it was like I, we got to warm up for a second. You're definitely watching it. When we, when we put it together, there were bands that I thought, well, we can have them, but let's... I, I was worried because I knew you were working with Madison and she had had COVID. Oh, yeah. And I didn't know if you had had it or not. And so... We were, there were a lot of bands we left out because of COVID. There was also the idea to have some legacy acts. I was going to try to get Dan Workman to get Culture Side back together. Oh, wow, yeah. Just to play one time. But when I considered everybody's age, I was like, this might not be a good idea. I wanted to have the My Dolls again. They're older. I didn't want them to get sick. And I didn't know what their I policies... And there were bands yeah. that I knew wouldn't do it because of their policies about playing together during COVID. So... That's why the initial ask didn't come, and when people dropped off, as I knew would happen, we were like, okay, 
this is who's on the second list. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, and it was, and I was just like, let's see if they're if they haven't gotten sick because uh, Mind Shrine, we had asked and they couldn't do it because oh, their basis, yeah. yeah, their basis had COVID. So, um, and Derek Rathbun, his band uh, Substance was supposed to play, and then he tested positive for it. Then he tested negative. I don't even know if he knows if he had it or not. You know. Yeah. Because the tests are kind of weird, too. Yeah, it's so, hard to know. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just a thing where... It just, uh, but y- y'all's live stream was great. So, of the live stream, is that all... It wasn't all new music because I heard older stuff, too. No, but three of those songs... Three of those songs are, are the three we recorded. There's one called Kind of Cool, one called Lord's Day, and one called... Oh, here I am forgetting it. Cosmic Tease. And, um, yeah, those are in there. And um, yeah, it was it was just a good opportunity to like knock some rust off. Yeah. After like all this COVID, and I mean playing those three songs endlessly for a few months, getting ready to record, and it just kind of came together with the Steve thing. It wasn't something we really like seeked out. It did come from the Marley Moon connection. Sure. And then she was recording with them. And this thing, I actually talked to her drummer, and he was like, "Yeah." I don't know, remember if it was his idea or my idea or something, but it was just kind of like, show him one of our songs, see what he thinks, see if he wants to work with us, like, I'll message him. And he thought it was cool, so, um, so yeah, I was like, cool, work with Steve, um, and he's very easy to work with. Yeah, he definitely is, there's, like I was telling you earlier, there's a reason I would tell somebody, call him, call him, if you can get a hold of him. He has the right touch. Like yeah. he's like in he's like involved the perfect amount like and and he knows also like the seems like the perfect amount of like music theory that you'd want an engineer to know where he's not like sitting there being like why don't you take the flat fifth and a, he, but but at the same time he's like no you need to phrase that differently like yeah. we need a, more quarter notes on the verse like you know things like that just right. a little and it's like these and and a lot of times like not to like like brag but I was really surprised at like how much he was just waiting for me to say what I was thinking and he was thinking the exact same thing as me. Sure, and sure. he would just be like, Preston, what do you think? And then I'd be like, well, you know, maybe we could tune the congas a little higher. And he'd be like, we have to tune them higher. Are you kidding me? And I'd be like, oh, cool. So we're on the same page. Yeah. It was really validating because that happened so much. Yeah. And I, um, it's definitely a, there's, that was cool. like I was saying earlier, there's engineers that make the record you want to make and there's engineers that make the record they want to make and he definitely makes the record you want to make. So Yeah. Uh, and then, so how many songs do you think will be on this record? Do you know? Well, yeah, I don't, it's like we're taking it piece by piece. I have so many like songs in the in my trunk, in my cabinet. I have so many, so many songs, and a lot of songs that we've jammed out with the band. But it's not a hundred percent sure which ones are all going to go in. And like, I want to write new stuff too. Not that there isn't new stuff that's been written, but it's just like I want to like I want to write stuff after we finish with these three because it's been this process of like all right we come in we record come in a few weeks later overdubs come in a few weeks you know so like yeah. we're gonna finish like we started in September we're gonna finish mixing at you know probably early January and yeah. so it's like uh, so it's like I'm almost once that's over I want I'm like I'm almost just waiting to get that done and then I'm gonna like look at what the plan is for how many songs but I know we've got like we could go cut a fourth song pretty pretty readily right now and there's some other songs that are pretty ready but I just I want it I just really want to get it right so I'm just kind of taking it taking it step by step you're looking for a release next year I guess yeah um 
definitely, definitely gonna release. I mean, yeah, it's not even. These songs aren't even gonna be done till 2021. So, but I mean, I want to have. We're talking about talking to a few artists about the the st- sort of visual stuff we want to have accompany the 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 songs, as far as music videos or lyric videos or just art and things like that. So, as I want to do some stuff that we haven't done yet. We don't have any music videos. We don't have any things like that. And I know it's like a something that you can easily spend a lot of money or get distracted on or something like that but i think especially with uh, covid happening like not not like a sense of responsibility because a lot of it is just is also purely selfish desire to have more content and stuff but it's like i feel like a responsibility to give stuff for people you know to listen to and to watch and yeah. to really engage with at home like i know like i love like i don't have to watch something obviously to listen to music but I love when when a band that I like is like here's like a you know make, even if it is just music videos or they put out a visual album or they put out something that accompanies the the sounds like Jaron from India Tigers in Texas did a video based off the stems of the new King Gizzard album called KG yeah and because I knew him and he worked on it one what oh, he, he did, did a video for King Gizzard yeah okay yeah his work is amazing but it made me watch all the other ones that he's done and it was like no that other people because it was like open oh all the king gizzard yeah the band released the stems and said here have fun make videos oh that's right see i'm out i'm a little out of their loop sometimes (laughs) that's okay yeah they put out like 80 they have a million loops yeah Yeah. yeah. so um but it made me watch everybody's and i i I spent like a whole afternoon watching all of these videos of a lot of the same songs i'm just like this is like a really great idea. It yeah. does get you to engage with it. If it's a cool thought, there's plenty of times where I'll write about a video because the video is so perfect. Today we wrote about a video for Idols, the band from uh, Bristol, UK, and it's an animated video and the, the band gets animated in it and it looks like the looks, characters of that video look like them look, yeah, exactly. in that world, you Man, know? We're, I, we're trying to find it's it's been hard i don't know if we're gonna end up doing it i don't want to like say never but we're trying to find somebody who can do those like old style religious iconography paintings yeah like but with us oh that's a good idea like, yeah. with like a fucking angel halo and stuff I, I'll, I'll tell you after with somebody that that can probably do that well cool well we'll just stay tuned for that i appreciate you taking the time to do it oh yeah man it's uh, been been fun to talk to you awesome. Self-Release Songs is produced by David Garrick and closed captioned. You can find new episodes every Thursday on the closed caption website at closedcap.com. You can also stream new episodes every Thursday on all streaming platforms, including Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. If you'd like to, you can support us at anchor.fm. As always, thanks for listening.